Good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with the late Patty Fink. <laughs> Allergies. Um, Laurent's off today, but our guest is Melissa Grove. Hello, David. Oh, let me turn you on. Hello, David. There you are. The legendary Melissa Grove. The legendary Melissa Grove. After more than 50 years as its executive director. 50 years? Oh, come on. The elderly. I'm only 54, David. <laughs> the elderly Melissa Grove. I'm not that old. <laughs> come retiring. on. David has a wicked sense of humor, doesn't okay, he? Okay, after more does, than 40 years as its executive director. How long have you been executive director? I've been, uh, well, I'm really bad with dates because it feels like one really long day, but um, I was with Legacy 90 to 92 as an intern, and then in 96 was hired back to open Legacy Founders Cottage. So you do the math. I, 20, I think it's like 26 years I've been with Legacy. Wow. And the elderly Melissa Grove is retiring. Well, yes, that's true. Very true. So retirement is something I'm facing 20, 30 years from now. I was about to say, you know, look, you've never even spoken about what you might do on retirement. Because I can't think of anything to do on retirement. David, this is you what you don't do. look a day over 80. Thank you. Yeah, so you should enjoy, enjoy this time in so your So I'm life. planning on going till I'm about 110, and then I will consider retiring. You may be one of those people who just needs to keep working forever. Well, you know, I had a grandfather who worked till he was 90, and the thing that kept him from going down uh, into lower Manhattan where his office was, was he couldn't make it up the stairs of the L, because it's like a four or five flight climb, and so at 90 he did have to stop working. Well, I think, I think perhaps Leo understands that you're just retired now, and maybe he doesn't have to pay you. No, he'll need to be paying me. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You know, all volunteer work. I mean, this gig is volunteer. Yeah. Um, we, we, get a, we get a paycheck every two weeks that says zero mm -hmm. on it. Well, actually, we don't get a paycheck because Gene is here, and Gene was on the board and got us direct deposit uh, so that we get our zero faster. Thank you, Gene. Better <laughs> So what are you planning for retirement? You know, I've really never been a gal with uh, any free time, so I do think this is going to be interesting. I've got a giant, you know me, I've got a giant list of things that is on my list of things to do, and I've kind of got it organized. I, I, I've come up with a concept. Okay, this is so silly. I really shouldn't be saying this publicly, but I came up with the idea called Melissa University, which encapsulates all the things I'm always wanted to do more of and don't get time. So my literature will be reading the giant stack of books that have piled up. My arts will be uh, all the the. 26 crafts I began and never finished. Cool. Homeback is going to be cooking. Science is some online classes. You know, I got all sorts of things like that. So I feel like I'll be fine, but I, who knows? Who knows? What about the people around you? Will they be fine? Um, you know, I'm probably going to be bugging them a lot more. So I, I realize I better keep myself busy or I'll be doing something derivative like getting on TikTok and 
you know, I'll be like, TikTok is my new love language. Here's a video, <laughs> you know, and that'll be my day. So, I'm, I, you know, I really just don't know what's going to happen because I've just been foot pedal to the metal since I was 16. So this should be very interesting. It's a new, th- it's a new thing. I remember when my sister was very fortunate to be able to retire at 51 and um, she and her husband actually left the country for about a year to yes. get uh, to get a different mindset for retirement. So it could, because it was so different then when they came back, it was nothing like, oh, you know, this is like, get up, go to work, get up, go to work, get up, go to work. Um, and they could change the pace and their focus and everything. Well, bless my husband's heart. He'll still be working. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to maybe make him lunch here and there. And, you know, I asked him the other day, I said, what are your expectations for me? Like, let's get that out of the way, you know, because he knows how hard and long I've been working. I mean, I would leave early in the morning. And we all get, pretend to know. Well, I'd be getting home like nine or ten at night and. I always we always had a joke. I always said, "No one can say I'm not a hard worker," because you know it's really brutal hours when you're a executive director. Uh, it's uh, your early morning meetings till late night drag shows. You know you you are working all day every day. You are master to many. You are a, you are you're a, beholden to many people for many things. So how are you going to be giving it up? And actually, we've passed your retirement date already. Yes, Brooke has taken over, Brooke Henderson. And she was on our show, when was it, last spring? Something like that. Yes, I'm really bad again with dates, but yes, Brooke ran our cottage for many years. You may know Brooke Nickerson, then she got married, Brooke Henderson. So you may know her from that. And um, she really did a great job there. And so we brought her back, and she was really the only person that was on my list. She said, what if I would have said no? I said, well, (laughs) that was never an option. And uh, just because I feel like she's really got the heart for it, she's got the stomach for it, she's got the ability to withstand the the challenging nature of it, and um, you have to be very quick on your feet and creative and you're dealing, you're putting out fires, but you're also long-range play. I mean, I, I can't tell you how hard this job is. And so um, I've done my best to try to help her. And, and she knows she'll always have my support. Anything she needs from me, I'll always be available to do. So, But I want to be in the background. I don't want to be popping up like a bad penny. I, I want to be just from a distance anytime she needs me. But I think it would be annoying if I ever joined the board of directors or showed up at all the events. I mean, I did just go to Positivity, so I guess I can't say <laughs> Okay, tell us about Positivity. That was last weekend. That was last weekend. Cody Lynch is our events person, and boy, does he do a good party. It was really fun. It was at SMU. It was like a big brunch with mimosas and a silent auction and speakers, and we had um, Leon Locken. We had... Um, uh, so many fun people involved, and a lot of the ladies from the Grace Project spoke. And boy, that was a real nice moment for me to get to. That was a program I just kind of pulled out of the air, and uh, it's always very satisfying. That's the only thing I would describe my career as being is satisfying because um, 
you know, I think, hey, I did that. That's cool. Not to sound braggy, but it's true. Um, I have a funny story. I was at the Grace Project. Uh, we have the largest program for women living with HIV in the world here in Dallas, Texas. Wow. We have over 225 women, up to 225 women attend our annual conference. And thanks to, um, we have a great program director. I did it by myself for years. Finally, thanks to Next Bank and Vive Healthcare, they funded a coordinator because this was like the little side project that turned into this giant thing. Uh, so now uh, Dr. Ratanya Reynolds runs it. And she is just one of my heroes. She's amazing. And uh, she runs the conference now, so we have year-round programming. But years ago, we had a conference, and the women do a fashion walk, strut their stuff to, like, I will survive. And it's just a moment to take your lap on the runway. And we usually have someone come in, like Jan Strimple or whatever, to teach everybody modeling walks and this and that. But once the music goes on, these ladies, they got it down. They do their walk on the runway, everybody cheers, everybody's laughing, they're crying. I mean, it's so amazing. Of course, all the women are HIV positive. And so it's a three-day conference, it's amazing. But anyway, after this whole walk, the the DJ, uh, Richard from AVSD Pro, he put on um, some music and everybody started dancing. Well, these women generally don't know each other. They're from all over, primarily North Texas, but some come in from around the United States. Some from Puerto Rico, some from other countries, because there's nothing like this out there. Anyway, they all started doing the exact same dance. And I thought, how does everybody know this dance? I'm being punked. This is a flash mob. They have a TV on me. This is one of those things. So I just sat there like looking around for the camera and just being like, oh, my gosh, this is so exciting. And then nobody ever popped out to say you know, surprise. And so after this went on for like 20, 30 minutes, I leaned over to someone, I said, how does everybody know the same dance? And they go, oh, it's the Dougie. It's a line dance, everybody knows it. Well, I did not know that existed. <laughs> but after I realized I was a complete idiot for not knowing like a, a dance everybody knows. For thinking that they had choreographed oh, this I dance the just thing, for you. I thought this whole thing was a surprise for me, you know, not to sound. <laughs> So anyway, after after I got over the embarrassment of thinking I was on like Ashton Kutcher was going to pop out from Punked or something, after that I was like I looked around and looked at all these women. I thought, wow, this is so cool, and this was just an idea I had, you know. And here it is, and it's really powered by the women themselves. They do a lot of work on it. Dr. Reynolds, uh, she coordinates it now, but the women do all the work. It's very cool. And we have so many things like that, so many great stories. What a great, what a great idea! Um, and I'm sure there are there are resources in everyone's community for people living with with HIV, but for women specifically, and Not then really. to be together who really do understand what yes. it's like, and yes. to be um, that's empowering to to just meet one or two other people, but to meet 200 other people, yes. that's amazing. Absolutely. Um, it, it is incredible to be with your peer group and people who get it. And, you know, like you said, everybody has resources, 
Well, uh, women don't. There's a lot of women who just have nothing in their communities. Often we'll call up people, when I have some interns, I will have them call up programs around the, eight, the nation and say, can I speak to your women's coordinator? Or oh, we don't have that. That's probably 90% of the time. Wow. These big agencies don't have anybody coordinating the women. Um, so it is cool that we do that. Another uh, great thing that popped into my head is um, we, and this story is out there. He's, he's open about this. We had a guy who went through our program for substance use. He found himself very addicted in a very bad way, lost everything. Came to our program, got sober, came to our program, went through our treatment, was so inspired by the group leader at Legacy, he went on to get trained as an LCDC, licensed chemical dependency counselor, came back as a therapist. Now wow. runs our intensive outpatient treatment program. Wow. And isn't that exciting? That, and that is. He's in there inspiring the, the clients in the group. Now, we've been doing it uh, telehealth, and now we're starting to come back to the office. But that's a really cool, that's Stephen Knight, and he's a fantastic therapist. But we have a million of those. You know. I want to go back to the Grace Project. Last night yeah. was Black Tie Dinner, and I met <coughs> Kelly Robinson, who said she'd love to come on our show. Awesome. Um, but we were talking a little bit about how so many things started in Dallas because Black Tie Dinner, uh, there are 50 of them around the country now. Yes. The original one was here in Dallas. Victory Fund. Uh, William Weyburn, who's in Washington now, uh, went up to Washington to bring this idea that we had started locally up to Washington, take it national. Um, Grace Project. Yes. Started locally, became the largest women's program for women with HIV in the country. How'd you get the idea for that? Well, we, we had women calling. Uh, well, I, there were women who would call me at the agency when we were legacy. We should just run through what we do because, uh, you know, I assume everybody knows. I keep saying legacy. You may know us as Legacy Counseling Center. We have rebranded to Legacy Cares. I know it as Melissa. Well, you know, David, for many years that wasn't that untrue. Uh, for many years it was me, but now we have a very strong board of directors. We have a really strong leadership team. We've got people now, but, you know, for many years it was just you looking at me, you know, all these years and some of and our therapists and nurse aides and things. But we've grown quite a bit. And um, so women would call us and say, well, come to our counseling program. Our mental health counseling, you know, you've got HIV, yes, but you may also have domestic violence. You also have other health issues. You are living in generational poverty or whatever. There was always a lot of stuff going on. And some other women would never come. And so I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, I don't understand why people won't come to the get counseling. Then it clicked with me like, oh, maybe that's my version of what helps. I didn't understand. Mental health stigma was not discussed as much. That's just my worldview is that's what you do. You get help when you need it. But that's not how everybody thinks. So I started doing pizza parties, and I'd say, oh, well, why don't you come to our HIV and dating, not HIV and disclosure, HIV and the blues, not HIV and depression. I just tried to use destigmatizing language, and sure enough, 30, 40 women would show up. 
and we would have pizza because you can't learn unless you're chewing. Right. Everybody knows that. <laughs> and so um, I would do these magnificent presentations. But really, more than my magnificent presentation, the real magic was the women connecting with each other. And I think it just goes to how much we need people to not necessarily to solve our problems, but we we all are we're very interconnected and we can't do it by ourselves as much as we'd like to sometimes. So getting together just kind of seemed like a good idea. Yeah. And it became the largest good idea in the country. Well, we I thought wouldn't it be fun if we went to like a camp for a weekend, like a retreat. And so I found a camp that was for disabled children, and in the off-season, they rented it cheap. And anybody who knows me knows I'm very cost-efficient. Is the Not cheap, but... Uh, I'm very cost-efficient. <laughs> People go, what's your budget? And I always laugh. I go, you know my budget is zero. My budget is always zero. That's where we're always starting, you know. I, you know, I want the money to go directly to patient care, period. Legacy is an administrative rate of 14%, which is incredibly low for a nonprofit. It incredibly is. Incredibly low. And if, in fact, it's a little too low, um, I would like us to raise some more money because, you know, we need to be competitive and retain staff, and it's getting harder as things get more expensive. Uh, but people who work at Legacy are fueled by passion. They really, really care about the people we're taking care of. And it's definitely not the place to come and get rich. It's the place where you really know you're going to make a huge impact. It's the place to, not to get rich, but to get enriched. We're talking enriched to Melissa Grove. Um, we need to take a break. Melissa is the retiring executive director of Legacy Cares. She's been with the agency for, we figured, 26, 26. years. Uh, we'll be back with more with Melissa right after this. And you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with the late Patty Fink, and our guest is Melissa Grove. She's the outgoing, not really. Executive director. No, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Brooke is the new ED. This is happening. David, you need to get over your denial. And I love Brooke. Oh, yeah, she's the best. She, she's going to do an awesome job. Um, the outgoing, retiring Shy and retiring, as, yeah. I, as we no, said on Facebook. I think I've Facebook. been called shy very often. <clears throat> shy well, and demure. The so. shy and demure Melissa Grove. One egg shy of a, of a, of a carton of eggs, maybe. Something like that. Um, <laughs> so we were talking about how um, the Grace Project got going. It was just an idea of connecting people together, and it grew out of... A weekend where you got a number of women together, and now it's an annual event, and it's the largest annual event for women with HIV. What are the other programs that, that Legacy does? You started as a counseling center. Yes. It's still a core yeah, piece absolutely. of what yes. you do. And then when we had our counseling center, we noticed our clients would be too. We would call them and say, are you coming in today? It was very grassroots. There, there, We would do counseling in our cars, in the park, you know, um, there wasn't even, it was all volunteers, all the therapists were volunteering, and we'd call our clients and they'd say, oh, I'm just too sick to come in. And so we said, well, we'll come over to your house. So we would go to people's homes and they were dying alone without care. So it was like, this is ridiculous, you know. So we opened, uh, the board at the time opened an AIDS care facility, which was for end of life care. 
Mm-hmm. Now, we don't do the medical piece. We bring in an outside hospice company, but we provide the day-to-day cooking, cleaning, groceries, you know, and companionship. And uh, we have nurse aides. They are very dedicated. If anybody here wants to do something nice for the staff, those ladies down at the cottage, they are really doing hard work. Um, there's about, I would say, 10 of them. And if you have, like, a, a business and you want to give them a gift card or something, because, boy, that's a challenging job because you connect with people and then they pass away. Yeah. And then you mm-hmm. connect with another person. Then they are very sick. But what's been kind of exciting over the years is when I they hired me back to open. I was the second intern at Legacy. They hired me back to open the cottage from scratch. And I did that. And... Um, when I started, everybody was terminal, but with all the new medications, people started getting better, which was so amazing. So you must have thought, well, we'll be out of business in a few years. Yeah, when I opened it uh, in 96 was the year all the Miracle AIDS drugs had come out, the um, December 6th, the year before, you know, December 6th before I even opened the place. And I thought, well, we know how to prevent <laughs> HIV. And we've got the drugs now to treat it. This place is not going to be around. After all that work I put into it, thank God, I'm so excited. Uh, but no, we're going strong, and it's because people don't get tested, or they have coexisting disorders, or different things like that. So unfortunately, there's still a place for us. And what we primarily do now is when people get very sick suddenly because they never got tested, they go to the emergency room, they put them in the hospital. And then it's time to discharge them. And in the time they've been in the hospital, they've literally lost everything. Their housing, their job, maybe their stuff was put on the curb, taken away. They've got nothing. They come to us with the hospital gown on their back. And I think many people listening today probably have a support network of someone who would take you in and help you. A lot of people don't have that. And so we take them in. And the alternative to us, if we don't have a bed available, they drop them off at the homeless shelter. Wow. And then they get sick because a hospital is not an apartment program, you know. And then they get sick, put them in a cat, put them in the ambulance, back to the emergency room. And then they get them somewhat better because when you leave the hospital, you're not better. You're just not bad enough to be in the hospital. Put them back in the cab, and this just keeps happening. The cottage can step in and intervene, take them in, nurse them back to health. And then help them find housing and move out. Well, the problem was is as people were getting healthier, time for you to move out, where are you going to go? You have no income. You're still pretty, you know, you're not You're not ready strong. to go back to work. Well, and, and if you are, you know, that's going to take a minute to earn that kind of money. Mm-hmm. And so where do you go for housing resources? So I realized the Dallas housing, it was all very scattered, and a lot of the housing agency... I kind of found them to be a little bit territorial because there's such limited funding. And I'm like, there needs to be one central place with all this information. Because here I am with 30 years of, you know, nonprofit experience. I couldn't figure it out. And I know a ton of people after all these years. So we opened um, Home Base for Housing. And Jefferlyn um, Harper Harris is our director. She does a, She runs a tight ship. She does a great job. And uh, basically, you know, let's say David is not HIV positive. Well, David can go on our website, and anybody listening can go to homebaseforhousing.org, 
and find every housing resource in town. Wow. Now, meanwhile, let's say Patty is positive. She can set up a time to meet with Jefferson or Andy, and they will get a bunch of paperwork because there's going to be a bunch of paperwork um, and find out, you know, what you could be eligible for and help you work through that complicated process, whether it's Section 8, whether it's a voucher program, whether it's Fresh Start, whatever it is, or maybe you just want a low-cost apartment. We try to maintain a database on our uh, website, homebaseforhousing.org, with low-cost apartments. It's getting tough. It's getting real tough. Plus, you know, Patty may have a, you know, a criminal record. Who's going to take Patty now? You know, I, I know I wouldn't, and I've known her for years. <laughs> right. So we find second-chance apartments that are a little bit more open-minded about evictions, a little bit more minded about any criminal history. Just trying to, you know, honestly, it's like the tiniest pie, and we're trying to feed thousands of people. And that's what Homebase tries to do. They have a really challenging job in that they're willing and they're knowledgeable, but the resources just are not there. And, you know, the waiting list for Section 8 can be years. So it is very challenging time. And that's for everybody, not just positive people. Well, the city of Dallas was happy with the work we did, and they gave us some funding. They go, what do people want? Well, really, people just want their own apartments, you know. And so what we do is take homeless people from the shelter who are HIV positive. They have to get on our lengthy waiting list, and they have to uh, they have to jump through some hoops for this program because we want to find people who are the most able to handle their own place. They come... They come in and Beatra uh, Whitaker, our director, uh, she vets them. We move them into the apartment. They're expected to work or volunteer and go to our educational pr- presentations. So maybe Next Bank will come in and do a presentation on budgeting or different people will come in and t- educate. And the goal is to get everybody independent again, back to their own housing. And eventually um, HUD requires us to charge a third of their income. Um, and we just reinvest that back into the program. But hopefully the goal is, is that eventually Patty's making so much money that a third of her income, she could get her own apartment. And so we have deals with these apartments where they can just take over the lease. So it's a very And these are furnished program. apartments? Um, or are they not anymore? Yes, they are. They are furnished. Sometimes we do furniture drives. Please don't call me about the dresser. Right. I, I don't have a truck. That's a real challenge for us. If we have volunteers who have trucks and are willing to move things, um, I just missed out on two dressers yesterday because I don't have, I don't, anybody who has a truck will never talk to me again. <laughs> I have burned my truck connections. <laughs> anybody, with truck a, anybody with a strong back will no longer talk to me. Uh, now, when that program started, Brian and I were moving into one apartment together, and so we were getting rid of some furniture. Well, Brian, if you remember him, was the kind of person who, if Melissa was asking, I need something, he didn't think of it in terms of, oh, and I can contribute a piece of that. He took it as, Melissa's asking me to furnish these 10 apartments. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So not only did he furnish, and it was 10 apartments that you started with, and I went through them, and there was something of Brian's in each of the 10 apartments. Of course. But then there was something of other people that he got to contribute stuff 
to those apartments. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's a pretty cool program. We have several families in there with children, with babies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, not what people think it is, but it's a very worthwhile program, and it's so exciting when someone gets back on their feet and is able to make it on their own. I mean, that's what really makes it worthwhile. And that's what's a fun thing about coming to the close of my career. A lot of people have circled back to me and given me feedback on how I've impacted them. And I think nobody listening today has any idea of how many people you have touched and reached, you know, in your life. You really have been more impactful and you will never even know the ways you have been impactful. Just no matter who you are, someone has taken inspiration from you, someone has grown from knowing you, someone has followed your example. And so I think that's really important for everybody to keep in mind. If you think about the people who have been valuable to you, have you fully told them all they have meant to you and what they've done for you? A lot of them you may not even be in touch with anymore. Um, So it's important to tell people those things, but also to take some pride in the way you've lived your life because you have supported and help people beyond what you will ever even realize. And you've been such a transformative presence for so many. Um, I mean, when we talk about the services that that you've built programs into and and expanded and reached that many more people, it's the difference between not only living and dying, but it's the difference between living independently and being dependent on others um, who may not deliver. Um, and that's extraordinary. And it's not just the counseling. So you were, you were talking earlier in the break about um, the name change for the organization um, and all the stuff that you've just been describing has not been counseling. Right. We, we kinda, I kind of was resisting for years, mainly because as ED, you have your plate full, um, to say it mildly. But um, we were kind of like, look, we're called Legacy Counseling, People are coming to us for housing or housing information or, you know, health, you know, special housing needs, a women's program. That's not counseling. So we we needed to come up with a new name, but that is a tough thing to do. So we, um, Scott Call, who was on our board, he got us connected with Content Pilot, and I applied for us to get a name rebrand. Now, of course, we're working with, Gay men with HIV is a, one of our primary populations we serve. I always kind of manage my expectations for the community as a whole because if I was raising money for children and puppy dogs, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. Right. We have a bigger challenge, and that's why I'm going to encourage your supporters. Um, don't contribute to mainstream things. Contribute to legacy <laughs> because we need the support from the community we really do i mean i know that sounds super selfish but i'm leaving so this is to help the work we're doing um but anyway i kind of always go okay i'll apply let's see no we won the contest and they put together they listened and they really heard us and uh, i was sitting there like when they came to do their final presentation i turned my camera off because my face cannot lie and I thought, oh, gosh, I'm going to hate everything. Just because I'm this, pl- this place is so important to me, I thought, there's no way they're going to do this right. I was just like, oh, boy. And how do you find, an, 
How do you find rebranding that honors your history, your rich, oh, yeah. rich history? It was a tall order. Yet, yet pivots toward the future exactly. and as best describes what the organization does. And it's a lot to ask it was with the rebranding. And so I didn't, I just was like, oh gosh, here we go. And so I turned off my camera and then they did it. And I cannot believe it, but I loved it so much. So our name is Legacy Cares. And I thought... That is so reflective of all the people who work there, the clients we serve. And our tagline is, positive starts here. Bam, mic drop. I thought that was great because HIV, a lot of people when they first find out they're positive, they are freaking out. They're not going to get a bus pass or food. Their first thing is they need to talk to someone. They need to cope with this, so that's what we do. And then for so many people in our homeless program, or who are starting over after a health issue or in mental health crisis, we are their fresh start. Well, one of the things that you've done for years is you've been the crisis line. I don't want to say you've run the crisis line. You've been the crisis line. Mainly because I um, am so cost efficient (laughs) that I just don't want to pay anyone else to do it. Um, For me, I've been on call in different positions since I was 23. I ran a psychiatric program prior to Legacy, and uh, there's always things that pop up. I would just assume, because, you know, it's not just the late-night calls from people on the crisis line. If there's an emergency in our apartment program, if there's a death at the cottage, I need to know all these things as executive director, so I might as well be on call. And I'm a licensed therapist. I should add that, lest people <laughs> think I'm randomly taking crisis calls. But yes, that is going to be a huge change for me. My phone is always mounted to my head 24 hours a day. I am never without my, I'm in the shower, my phone, my phone is never more than Is that what that away. thing is hanging out underneath your hair? No, it's right here. Ah. These are <laughs> earrings that obviously you don't find very attractive, David. No, I'm just kidding. I keep the phone with me 24, it's got a little ring on it. I'm never without it. So one of the things I'm going to do uh, uh, October 1, uh, I'm going to try to go and give my husband my phone because I'm so compulsively. (gasps) I'm going to try to see if I can go even a couple hours without my phone just because I'm so addicted to it because I've always had to have it. Again, Do you know so many people are? I put my phone down when I get home from work. And sometimes don't look at it again until the next morning. People can't believe that I do that. And it, you know what's odd is I've left it in my car and, you know, outside. And it'll be like, I don't know, midnight. And I'll go, where the hell is my phone? And it freaks me out. And I know that I had it with me because I was playing music from it on my car when I was driving home from work. So I'm like, okay, that couldn't have happened unless it was in the car. And here I am creeping out there in the middle of the night, and all the dogs come. <laughs> oh, I'll even leave it on my desk in my office, and I'll be still in the parking garage and realize, oh, I, let, ah, I don't feel like going back for it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it. that's like. So start small. You know, have him just be in another room with it. Yeah. It's going to be know? weird. It's going to be weird. It's kind of like an addiction. It is. It absolutely is. I wish there was a program for that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, every time you get a text, it's a dopamine pulse, and so it's very rewarding. You know, you get a dopamine reward every time, ding, you hear that noise. It's like a rat in a Skinner box, though. 
We're talking to Melissa Grove. She's the retired executive director of Legacy Counseling. We'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with the late Patty Fink. We're talking to Melissa Grove, and we wanted to get to some psychological stuff, as you professionally put it when we were talking before the show. Um, The pandemic. You and I were talking a little bit about what it did to people. Um, Yes, I mean, I think we've all been through a collective trauma here. Mm -hmm. Um, The between, you know, the political acrimony and everything going on. And I mean, this is I've never we've never been alive uh, in my lifetime in a time where everybody felt so unbalanced um, even things like our democracy feel mm-hmm. like, oh, whoa, that's good. You know, things we thought were settled are not settled. The world feels very up in the air. And when these sort of things happen, um, you know, with all the health stuff, and I think I, like many people, were very surprised at how divided we do appear to be when, you know, and not that long ago, we all watched TV, the same programs at the same time, we had more of a collective think. Now we're all scattered. You know, when, if you think about it this way, in the olden days, not that long ago, you'd watch the evening news, you'd get the bad news for 60 minutes, and you'd have time to grieve and process and be empathetic. And now we have 24-hour-a-day constant funnel of every negative thing all over the world. And I really don't think our psyches are set up for this at all and i think it is affecting us and i Mm -hmm. think one of the ways it's affecting us is we have to become desensitized because you can't emotionally function you wouldn't be able to function it's kind of like surgeons and doctors can get gallows humor where they seem to have very dark senses of humor it's all part of coping and so you know i think this is something And then now let's add to it, we lack, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, we lack those distractions, going out with friends, going to concerts, traveling. So we've got nothing but time to ponder what is happening. And I feel like that was very psychically intense for everyone. And in many ways, you're safe and protected at your house, and others are struggling more than you are, or maybe even sick and dying. People felt like there's not a space for me to to be feeling this way. It's you know others are in worse shape, right. so there was a guilt about that. And so really, we all didn't want to lean too hard on anybody else because they were going through what we're going through. And so I think it's just been a very difficult time. And I think we now see people really reevaluating. You hear about the Great Resignation. You hear about quite quitting. All of these things to me are just people really getting a grip on what do I want? What is my priority? Yeah, and it's interesting with people resigning. Patty kept her job. Laron mm-hmm. kept his job. I know I was going into the office from day one of the pandemic. Um, we almost seem to have had opposite uh, reactions to it. Rather yeah. than deciding to quit I hung on to it is what I felt I was doing but David don't you feel like your work at the Dallas Voice 
is part of a passion project for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a paid gig, yes, uh, but there's easier ways to make a living. And I think that's you know how uh, people who really clung to their jobs, uh, even if it isn't a passion project, that was something that felt stable and normal. And we maybe needed that normalcy. But for other people, they may have thought all those feelings welling up in them, they're like, bah, get me out of here. Plus opportunities popped up. So maybe normally you wouldn't have made that move. But with the feeling of dissonance and discomfort, that's often the impetus for growth. That's often the moment. No one changes when everything's smooth as silk. Right. It's when you have a, a discomfort, when something rubs you the wrong way, when something's bothering you, you need that turmoil to promote action and to to move, you know, move on. So, you know, I think we've all been through this thing and now I won't say we're out of it completely at all. Um, but it does feel like the light at the end of the tunnel is no longer a train. Right. Right. For a while we're like Oh, hope. Oh, it's a train coming right at me. You know, every time you feel like, oh, we're, oh, no, it's not. Kind of like the Dallas Cowboys, you know. (laughs) Just when you think, oh, this is going to be it. No, I'm not going to get my hopes up. I'm not going to get, I'm getting my hopes up. Oh, (laughs) you know, that's the the process we we go through with them as well. Um, But that's kind of like where I think everybody's at now. We're trying to find that stable ground. But I think, too, I think the pandemic in many ways introduced to people who did not previously really take it in that life balance is really important until they tasted it. You know, I can think of Laron had been wanting to work from home and here he was working from home. Um, He has a daughter, he's married, has a husband who's also goes out and works every day. And suddenly now he's able to find a lot more balance in his job because they said you know what we're going to do this permanently and boom i did that for 20 years in a in a job and the life balance really does make a big difference you don't you're not calling you're not burning a vacation day for some plumber to come you know what i mean and you can let the plumber in excuse yourself from your desk yeah let the plumber in have him do his work while you're doing yours i'll I'll write you the check or give you the credit card at the Mm -hmm. end you know and i mean those kinds of things became sort of, you know, like, those are not crises. Whereas when you work in an office and you have to separate yourself from it for even those things, you know, like, I worked with a group of people who, um, for, for 20 years, and they had kids, and they're like, between 3 and 4 o'clock, you just don't plan meetings because they're picking up their kids from school. Yeah, and, flexibility, don't you yeah. think? Well, but, but I, the thing about it that was the damnedest thing with uh, Patty is that, even though she only had to commute from one bedroom to the other one, she was so still late. late. Oh, I was not. <laughs> but Aaron did grouse about my 10-foot commute, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely something to be said for, uh, you know, I mean, it, to me, you know, it added two extra hours of work, which is great. I mean, time to get stuff done. But I do think you lose something, too. I do think there is something valuable with being with people. There's something you do not get over Zoom. Anybody here who's been to a Zoom happy hour can vouch for it ain't the same thing. <laughs> Zoom happy hours are going to be a very sad footnote in the history books. 
you know, ah, let's all party on Zoom, you know. Let's uh, have virtual drinks. Let's, well, <laughs> no, there were real drinks, but even so, it wasn't the same. I do think there's something uh, important about looking at someone in the eye, being with someone, being present. So I do think that we're ushering in a whole new era of flexibility because I think that is what's valued. I think people get it, that they that they want that and they should want that. Oh, that's a big priority, yeah. yeah. Having a bit, and one neat thing, and we are hiring therapists at the counseling center, um, one neat thing about legacy is now, especially now that we do telehealth, the therapists can see their regular high-paying private practice clients and squeeze in our clients um, for a far reduced rate. Think of it as paid volunteering. Um, and that's one way they can be supportive. You know, if they come on board, they can work from home because some of our clients prefer that. Yet we also have office space because some clients don't want that. So, um, you know, every business is finding their ground. Everybody's trying to figure out how to make this all work. With telehealth, do you find that it takes longer to make the connection um, and longer to actually get some results? You know, um, I'm a therapist, and I kept a tiny private practice uh, all these years just because I feel like it's important for therapists to be in the field, you know, not to be too removed. Um, But I I, I think in many ways it felt like a protective shield, and sometimes clients were more open because intimacy is so – we could do a whole show on emotional intimacy because – Intimacy is very difficult for people. If anybody grew up, grew up in a family with any kind of conflict, the worst thing is if we have conflict. So without conflict, you don't have intimacy. They don't know how to do conflict correctly, so they avoid conflict. And the way we, and if you're avoiding conflict, you're not being vulnerable. And if you're not being vulnerable, you cannot connect. So if I say something, and Patty's like, me too. I felt the same way. I was like, you did? You go, yes. I was, I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. That is an invisible line of intimacy between the two of us where we have a connection. But if you cannot be vulnerable, you never get that. Mm-hmm. So sometimes talking to a therapist, you feel very exposed, and that is terrifying. So sometimes telehealth is great, though. Because it's all through a screen. It doesn't feel so personal and intense. You know, I, I work in health IT and have been in healthcare my whole career. And uh, one of the things that the industry has noticed about telehealth in, in the time of COVID, COVID and since is that where, um, particularly in areas of addiction and such, um, Clients are more likely to make their appointments, like I mean, mean like uh, fulfill their appointments, show up when it's telehealth. Then many times when it's before um, to get in the car, to catch the bus, to be to do all the things that a person in crisis many times has to accomplish to get to the place to do the appointment. It's just easier not to not to go. And so they missed their appointments. And so they found this enormous rise across the industry mm-hmm. where people were actually showing up for, for counseling appointments. It's, lower, it's a lower investment. Yeah. You know, some of our clients have to take three buses to get to our – we're on the bus and rail line, but it's not like our bus system is that intuitive. I mean, 
you have to sometimes transfer here, get on this bus, go, and then walk three blocks, and then and walk, and you know. So, I think also when people with addiction, um, and I know we are all over the place today, but it's good stuff. I think um, when people have addictions, it's not like they've been prioritizing their health or mental health. So to ask them to go to great lengths to show up at an appointment is a lot. That's only going to last 30 or 45 minutes or an hour. Yeah. And then do two hours more to get home. (laughs) And also, I mean, we have a lot of digital natives, as they're calling them. Uh, Kids, now young adults who grew up with their phones and those screens and their friendships when they're doing Twitch and live streaming video games with other people. Those are their significant relationships, which to me seems rather bizarre because if, some, if I don't know someone in person, I don't see how I'd form such a strong friendship with them. But that's, that's, how, the, that's how the youngins act these days. <laughs> um, but it is kind of interesting. So, you know, I do think telehealth is going to be amazing. And during the Obama era, era uh, with, health, with his health care reform, he put forward the health care mental health care parity. If you have health care, you also have mental health and substance abuse. This was huge because uh-huh. let's say David had health insurance. Oh, but he doesn't have a mental health benefit. And then that would be out of pocket. Well, now if he has health care, he guaranteed has uh, mental health and substance abuse treatment, which is so important because it's part of your health. Yes. Absolutely. It's a big part of your health. People don't go to therapy for fun. They go because they need it, and they know they need it. So, um, And frankly, it's money well spent in my book, uh, because when people go do that, everything else rises. You know, if you're too depressed to get out of bed, you're too depressed to exercise, eat right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm curious, did you need to learn any new skills in order to do telehealth? And I'll tell you where that question's coming from. For the two years of the pandemic, we were doing phone guests only. And, um, I mean, the first time we had a guest in the studio, it was like, I, I, this is so exciting. <laughs> because we can really connect with the, uh, with the guest. It took longer during the hour to warm up to the guest. And we learned how to do it. And it didn't take as long later on in our experience doing that. So did you need to acquire any new skills? Well, one thing I was proud of is I had broken my femur. I tripped over my puppy and broke my femur. That's a huge break. It's the largest bone in the body and the most painful to break. It was very not great. And I didn't feel comfortable because COVID had just started to hit. So I didn't go to a rehab center. My husband had to be my rehab center. Anyway, so... Uh, in the middle of all that, it's not like there were so many staff to take over. I didn't miss a day. I was working hours before the surgery, hours after the surgery. But we converted the whole agency to telehealth, and I had to sort it all out, figure it out, train the therapist, best practices, figure those out. And all of our therapists are just so amazing. And, uh, you know, Gail and Dara, everybody is just so dedicated. They made it work, and we, you know, you, now we have to do things like say, where are you taking this call? Because if things go south, I need to know where someone is. Right. Mm. And also teach the clients, you can't do therapy with five people in the room. Or at a bus stop. Or at a bus stop. So some of our clients would have to go into the bathroom and sit on a closed toilet to do their sessions because they had no privacy. Mm-hmm. Or sit in their cars. 
So yeah, we had to think on our feet, but everybody rose to the challenge and they did everything they could to make sure our clients um, you know, were taken care of. And we never missed a day, which I'm, that's something I'm always really proud of. Just, uh, you hear my name, people know me just because I'm the one who keeps showing up. But really, it's not about me at all. That's why I feel comfortable going because it's been this sea of amazing people just killing themselves every day trying to make everybody's lives better. And they're going to keep doing that because they do care. And I want to I thank you, David, and you, Patty, for giving a voice to Legacy all these years. We don't spend money on marketing and this, that, and the other. You know, I appreciate you giving us the opportunity. Well, we'll continue having Legacy on, but it'll Absolutely. be but it'll be Brooke. Let please, I, honestly, I'm so adios, com- Melissa. David's done articles. Enjoy article. your retirement. David's done articles on me. This, that, and the <laughs> to be frank with you, I'm sick of me. I need a break. I don't want to hear another word about me. Um, I'm excited to kind of disappear into the in, into the background. Well, and, let's see if we can call you, and then we, you know, like took her days to call me back. That, that we'll would be see. like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's working. She's disconnecting from her phone. Probably not. If you ever text me, it's like <laughs> within five seconds, your answer is there. We are out of time. Melissa, thank you so much for coming today. Good to see you yes. both. Thank you, Good guys. luck in your retirement. Yes. And, um, Have a blast. Right. My, my goal is to master macaron. Like, I want to be able to make those things so I don't have to pay $2 a piece for them. Come over, I'll teach you. Really? Okay. And Got for it. all of us here at Lambda Weekly, our guest next week is Valletta. Valletta Lil and Chris Heimbaugh. And have a good Rosh Hashanah for those who are celebrating, and we'll see you next week. Okay. It says on the air still. Bye, everybody.